It's not every day that you get symbols when you step up on the stage. Um, thanks, Blair, for leading us in prayer, man. Um, and uh, it is a special, awesome opportunity that the, the, the church has to love on the uh, Snowbird Institute students. Um, I had the privilege this past week, every day, Monday through Friday, to be able to um, teach uh, them every morning for about an hour and a half. They had to endure 90 minutes um, of me. Um, sometimes putting my foot in my mouth, uh, sometimes jumping off stages. Um, and, uh, and, but I got to teach them through the Red Oak membership class. So shameless plug, we have the Red Oak membership class next month. So if you haven't signed up for that, if you're interested in becoming a member of Red Oak, learning about the church, the body of Christ here, um, then that will be in different elders' homes um, every Wednesday night in the month of September. You can sign up for that on the website. Um, but uh, it was one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to teach through the Red Oak membership class to the Institute students last week. And um, because it's just a great reminder of, of the church and just of, of what we believe, why we believe it, and how we function, why we do what we do. Um, and it was just really encouraging uh, for me personally, I hope for them as well. Um, and, uh, and I was also reminded, uh, I was able to teach through the class uh, for four days. And then on the last day, I was done with the class, and I was like, Zach, what, am I, what, what, what should I teach on? He was like, whatever you want. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to just choose whatever. So I chose spiritual disciplines um, with a, a special emphasis on praying the Bible. Um, and, uh, and so uh, one of my favorite books of all time is, is Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. And so um, as I was preparing for that, in my notes, I have written down, uh, read page 84 and 85 out of that book because it's just super powerful, and he talks way better than I do. And so reading it would have been amazing, except I couldn't find the book. And I was like, where's this book? You know, like, I, I, I scoured my house. I looked in my office. I looked in, um, I looked in the garage. You know, I opened every box I, that we hadn't opened since we moved 12 months ago. Like, I'm like, I'm like where's this book? I go to the, go to the office downtown that Blair, Blair lets me use, and I'm, like, looking everywhere. I'm like, can't find the book. Go to Zach's, can't find the book. I'm like, if Zach doesn't have the book, where's the book, you know? And, and so um, I finally gave up. Like, I come, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to, to you do that part of the teaching. And I come in, and Zach's like, man, why do you look so down, you know? Like, and I was like, I can't find the book. And he's like, what book? And I was like, praying the Bible. And uh, one of the institute students says, oh, this book? And I was like, you have the book? Like, with you right now? And she was like, yeah, right here. You can use it. And I was like, out of all the books in the world, well, first of all, out of all the topics I could have chose to teach on, and then out of all the books in the world, she happened to have the one book in that room, in her backpack that morning. And I was just reminded again, like, God is involved in the small things. Like, he is providentially involved in every small little detail. And then I was like, you think he wanted me to teach that that morning? Right? Like, how incredible is that? Like, it's just a small little story and, and very much tied to the takeaway from the passage we're in tonight. Uh, Genesis 37. And so if you have your, your Bibles, you can turn there now. Um, but I would be uh, remiss not to, to say, like, yes, and Blair's already said it, we, we, are, we are grieving. It's been a really hard week, um, but we're grieving with the Coleman and the Holloway family over the, the, the passing of uh, Steve the Bikahuna Coleman, and um, the scriptures are very clear. You know, while we do grieve, we grieve with hope. 
because he knew his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's face to face with him now and way better off than right now than we are, okay? And so we grieve, but we grieve with hope. But the scriptures also say in Romans 12, 15, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So when, when somebody has a new baby, we rejoice with them. We celebrate. We celebrate all the, the victories in life, but, but then we grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. That's what the body of Christ does. And, and so we do. We want to walk alongside of them as they grieve and as they remember and, and celebrate. And, and I couldn't help but think, um, I only met him a couple times, but in Winston-Salem, where I'm from, he came to speak a retreat. And, uh, and I'll never forget the first night. It was just a weekend, and he was teaching through Psalm 23. And, uh, and the first night, he taught for 35 minutes on the first two words of that psalm. And it was the Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he just said, all right, we're going to talk about the Lord. And for the, the whole night, he talked about the Lord. And so I thought, well, tonight, let's pray over the Coleman family, over the Holloway family. Um, and let's just pray that the good shepherd, their Lord, would, would comfort them. Uh, during this time, and then we're going to dive into the word together. Father God, we, we do come before you tonight uh, humbled, uh, Lord, just for the opportunity to get into this room uh, together and to exalt your name, to remember this incredible story that you are writing through the span of human history, this amazing gospel, Lord, that, that uh, the big kahuna was able to, to preach that you enabled him by your grace and by your mercy not a perfect man, not a perfect pastor, there is not one, but he was able to do it because you gave him the strength to do it and the passion and the zeal to do it. Lord, and I, I praise you so much for his life. I praise you for his family. And Lord, as, as we are here grieving, I, I just lift them up to you. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, minister to them, that your Holy Spirit would comfort them and, and grant them peace that is beyond human understanding. Lord, that, that they would be able to, to recall all of the joyous times. Father, they were able to, to share with, with their dad, with their grandpa. Lord, with, with this, this great mentor, this great discipler, this great preacher of this amazing gospel. And I pray that right now, even now, that as we go through your word, as we read Genesis 37, I pray that you would speak to us. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us Father, we don't need to hear what I have to say. We need to hear what you have to say to us. So I pray that you would speak now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Genesis 37. Uh, just the first 11 verses tonight. Just the first 11 verses. Um, and, and so we've covered a ton of ground so far in Genesis. And I don't know if you remember all the way back, like Adam said, when we started to worship, like back in November of 2021, when we started this uh, series Spencer preached, and he explained the word toledote, okay? And toledote was the generations of, okay? And so, so far, we've walked through a ton of generations in Genesis. And so, uh, I just want to do a quick recap. I'm not going to talk about from the beginning all the way to 37, but uh, just the toledotes, because the last one is in our text tonight. Uh, Genesis 2, 4, it says the generations of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 5, 1, the generations of Adam. Genesis, Genesis 6, 9, the generations of Noah. Genesis 10, 1, the generations of Noah's sons. Genesis eleven ten, the generations of Shem. Genesis eleven twenty seven, the generations of Terah. 
Genesis 25, 12, the generations of Ishmael. Genesis 25, 19, the generations of Isaac. Genesis 36, the generations of Esau. And then tonight, we see Genesis 37, verse 2, the generations of Jacob. So we've covered, we've walked through like the patriarchs looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's life, how God gave them the covenant blessing or these promises of that he was going to make a nation for himself, for his glory. And, and so now we're going to launch into the story of Joseph, right? And, and Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons. Uh, the Joseph story is one of the longest stories in the Bible. Uh, and so it's actually... Um, it will carry, it's so long that it's going to carry us through the entire rest of this year. That's how long the story is, okay? Uh, and so tonight, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses about Joseph when he starts. He's the dreamer, okay? Joseph the dreamer. And we're going to see a couple of his dreams tonight. Um, speaking of dreams, I had some dreams last night. Um, they were pretty weird. Um, they weren't biblical, and they definitely weren't prophetic. Um, I had a dream um, that I got invited to a middle school lock-in. Um, some of you might say that's a nightmare. Uh, by a, um, one of my friends and, uh, and in, in his office, no less. It wasn't even in a fun place. It was in an office. And in the dream, when I got there, he had, he had decided to, to change the carpet in the building and to put carpet on the walls and the ceiling as well. Like, I don't know if there needed to be padded rooms or whatever, but, and then he put like, there was like 12 TVs in one room and there's tons of video games. And I was like, this is a middle school lock-in, you know, nightmare, crazy. But my dream is not going to come true. Like that, I guarantee you that dream will not come true. Tonight, we're going to see some dreams from Joseph that the Lord has given to him. And so let's read Genesis 37. We're going to read the uh, 11 verses together, and then we're going to walk through them, okay? So this is what God's word says. Genesis 37, starting in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and said to his brothers, and told his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So this is an incredibly epic story. And this is, we're just scratching the surface. This is first 11 verses, okay? But the, the Joseph narrative is going all the way from 37 to chapter 50, okay? So this is humongous, right? And, and we're gonna see that God is the main character, 
A lot of people love the story of Joseph, even outside the Bible, people who aren't even Christians. But like, Joseph's not the main character. Joseph's not the hero, okay? God's the main character. Now, I know in, in these 11 verses, God's not even mentioned, okay? But he's behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes, even when you can't see him, okay? And so um, God gives these dreams to Joseph because they foretell the future, and only God can foretell the future and it come true. And so this is a, a classic sweeping story, right? It's got everything that you would want to find in good literature, okay? It's such an amazing story that Hollywood dreams of having like a storyline like this, a plot line like this. It's got everything you would want in a great movie. Um, in fact, Hollywood tried to make a movie in the year 2000. You remember that year? In the year 2000, Joseph, uh, King of Dreams, came out. Um, and so if you want, you can watch that. I don't recommend it. I'm just saying it's not biblical. They took some creative liberty, but they, they made the movie because it's an amazing story, right? And it, it's an incredible story and it's way better than a movie because it's, it has everything, right? We're, we are going to see action adventure. We're going to see beauty and character development. We're going to see excitement. We're going to see family drama, a lot of dysfunction, in the family. We're going to see suspense and mystery and, and thrills. We're going to see romance and royalty, right? It's got everything in this story. It takes you on a roller coaster ride of emotions as well, right? We're going to be in the, in the pits of, of Canaan to the, the palaces of Egypt. We're going to be in the depths of despair in the dungeons of Egypt, and then we're going to be in a, a palace because of divine preservation as well. And so tonight is just the catalyst, right? It's, it's setting the stage for what we're going to walk through for the rest of the year. Uh, and they're in Canaan. Jacob and his family, they're living there. Uh, and Isaac was the, the foreigner in the land. And that's why it says they were sojourning in that land. Isaac is no more. Jacob's there with his family. And in verse 2, it says the final Toledo, right? These are the generations of Jacob. Yet in this story, it's mainly about Joseph and so Joseph was one of Jacob's youngest sons from Rachel uh, and, uh, and will be one that uh, God uses to preserve the nation of Israel. Ultimately, the promised line uh, of the seed of the woman would come through because of God using Joseph to preserve that line. And so in verse 2, we see a, a quick snapshot, if you will, a profile of Joseph. He was a teenager when, when we see him here. Okay, he's 17 years old. He's working out in the fields. He's taking care of the flocks with his other brothers. Uh, it says Bilha and Zilpah. Uh, and so they were the, the servants of Rachel and Leah. So these were the secondary wives for Jacob. And so if you remember back in chapter 35, Jacob's favorite was his beloved wife, Rachel. Right? She passed away in chapter 35, when she was giving birth to Benjamin, who was the last son of Jacob. And so Joseph's the second to last son for Jacob. And so we already know that he's got 12 sons and, and Joseph is almost the, the youngest. Okay, so um, we also know he's one of his favorite sons. He holds a special place in Jacob's heart, uh, especially now because not only was his beloved wife the, the mother of Joseph, but she's now passed away. And I really never thought about that. Like when I think about the Joseph story, like he grew up mainly child, like motherless, you know, which has a, a, an effect. And, and so in verse two, it tells us that Joseph brought a bad report to 
his father about his brothers. Now, the brothers that he's talking about are Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and they had probably done something that Jacob would not have approved of, right, in the field while they were tending the flocks. Uh, And so instead of it staying in the field, it comes home to the ears of Jacob via the mouth of Joseph. Okay, so we know already he's got a pretty big mouth. Uh, And in English, when we think bad report, that could be something true or it could be something false, right? It It could be facts or not. In the Hebrew, when it says bad report, it's never positive, it's always used in, in a way that, that's like, it's more like slander or exaggeration of, of, some, of some malicious report. This was bad. It wasn't good. So basically, Joseph is telling on them, and he's making them look a lot worse to their father than perhaps they were. And if you wanted to boil it down, you could say that Joseph was a tattleteller. Does anybody like tattletellers? No, nobody likes tattletellers, right? And so... Um, this is more than just sibling rivalry, okay? If you grew up with siblings, you probably fought. You don't even have to raise your hand. I know you probably did, okay? Like I grew up with one brother. We fought a lot. Sometimes dad would almost end vacation, threaten to take us home if you don't stop fighting, right? So we all know about sibling rivalry. This is more than sibling rivalry, okay? Jacob's actions didn't help Joseph in the eyes of his brother, Okay, if you remember back in Genesis 29, it said that Jacob hated Leah and loved Rachel. Also, if you recall, when Jacob was going to be reunited with Esau, he was afraid of Esau and, and that Esau might be breathing murderous threats still. He didn't know. And, and so when he's about to approach him with his family, with this caravan, in Genesis 33, Joseph, uh, Jacob takes all of his family members and he lines them up with children and wives from the least loved to the greatest love. Guess who was in the back? Rachel and Joseph. And, and so do you think that that made Joseph's brothers feel good? They were like, dad, dad, we're expendable. So if Esau takes out the front, then like Rachel and Joseph can get, get away. Okay. So already this is not helping. Okay. And, and so, um, we see that Jacob played favorites with his wives. If he played, played favorites with his wives, he's definitely played favorites with his children. And we, we know back from Genesis chapter 34 that he disregarded Dinah, right, the, the sister of the brothers. And, and so he didn't hide the fact that he, he had favorites and that, that Joseph was one of his favorites over all of his sons. He actually gave him a special gift, Right? That would only incite more jealousy and anger from his brothers. In verse 3, it says, He made him a robe of many colors. Um, growing up, when you hear the story of Joseph, right, when you see it in a kid's Bible, when you see it uh, in a coloring page, well, it's, it's the robe of many colors, right? It's Joseph's robe. It's, it's got right, all the colors of the rainbow in it. And, and so, um, actually, in the year before 2000, in 1999, I don't know if anybody remembers that year, but a musical came out. Does anybody remember that? Right? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay? Kind of strange. Wouldn't recommend them watching that either. Um, but one thing that I learned while I was studying through this, and I've never heard this before, never seen this before, um, is that that phrase, many colors, doesn't mean many colors. Isn't that weird? 
That's strange. Yeah, it's like uh, Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya. I don't think it really means what you think it means. Now you keep using this phrase. I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, it doesn't mean color, like many colors. It actually means long sleeves. That's interesting. But, but I did some research. In my friend Blair's Jewish Bible, it actually translates the phrase, he made him a long-sleeved robe. Doesn't use the word color at all. So the robe, having sleeves, supposedly signified royalty, which would have put Joseph as the chosen heir above all of his brothers. You think that made him happy? Right? No, absolutely not. Right? Like, somebody's paying attention. Um, So (laughs) if you remember, Reuben already forfeited his right to the inheritance back in chapter 35 by making poor decisions. But for Jacob to take Joseph, one of the youngest of his sons, and jump him all the way up to the front and give him a double portion of the inheritance would only make the brothers super angry. They're not liking him, okay, to say it nicely. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. It actually repeats it multiple times. It it says that they hated him. They hated him. They hated him. They hated him so much that they couldn't even speak to him peacefully. That means that there was no shalom in the home, right? This is not a happy family. This is a dysfunctional family. There's no peaceful, happy family meals, right? The, The hatred that Joseph's brothers had for him was so deep that they couldn't even talk to him peacefully. They couldn't even be around him in a kind way or look at him in a kind way. And I don't know if you know what shalom means, but it means completeness or wholeness, okay? It means, it means peace, welfare, safety, health, prosperity, friendship. That's what shalom means. And they were having none of it. There was no shalom between Joseph and his brothers. And we see how favoritism breeds contempt. Right? We, we see how, and we've already seen it through Genesis, how amazing it is that the, uh, the sins of a father affect his children. Right? Like, we've seen it multiple times. And I think it's just a reminder for us that, that there's a great lie out there that if you sin and nobody knows about it, then it only affects you. And that's just a lie, right? We know that sin has consequences, right? And, and sin not only affects you, but it affects your family. And it affects your friends. It affects how you see other people, right? And so we see over and over again that, that sin has consequences that's going to come into form. In some way, it's going to bring up things that shouldn't be there. It's going to complicate things. Sin always complicates things. And it always makes you stupider, there's a good takeaway. Sin always makes you stupid, okay? You do stupid things when you sin, and it always does make you stupid. So, but Joseph wasn't innocent in this regard either, so we can't put all the blame on Jacob. Joseph wasn't innocent. Um, we've already seen that he's a tattletaler, but we're going to see a little bit more in verses 5 through 8. He, so Joseph has a dream, okay? Now, this is only the fourth time that dreams are seen in Genesis, right? The Lord spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Jacob and Abimelech through dreams, And now he's speaking to Joseph through dreams. Uh, One book that I read said, uh, dream interpretation was popular in the ancient world. The Egyptians raised it to an art. Various schools of Egyptian wise men took pride in their many systems for interpreting the voices of the gods in dreams. So God would use 
Joseph and Daniel in the same way to interpret and unravel the meaning of dreams for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. Now, the dream that Joseph had, he didn't have to share, right? God didn't say, hey, go tell this to your brothers. That'd be a good idea, right? But Joseph told his brothers anyway, right? And he should have probably kept it to himself because it was pretty prideful and ignorant, right, to do that. But God knew that he was going to share the dream when he gave it to him. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out the meaning of the dream. You don't even have the gift, you don't have to have the gift of interpreting dreams to, to realize, oh, I know exactly what this means, right? And Joseph's brothers called on pretty quickly, are you indeed to reign over us, little brother? You're gonna rule over us? You think we're gonna bow down to you? Ha, that's funny, right? Little did they know that this is foreshadowing. Because Joseph would actually eventually reign and rule over them in Egypt. And they would actually bow the knee to him, not even knowing so. And we see that in Genesis 42, 6. And so this dream does come true, but no one knew that at the time. No one could foresee that. And so his brothers hated him even more for the dream and for him sharing it with them. And, and so it's repeated again that they hated him. The intensity of their hatred is so great. Right? Jacob, he and his brother didn't get along very well either. Y'all remember that? Jacob and Esau? Yeah, they, Esau hated him so much that he wanted to kill him. Well, Joseph's brothers would eventually want to kill him as well. So if you think that your family is dysfunctional, you can just, like, think again, right? Like, how much more animosity would be between each other in this, in this family? We've seen a ton of animosity in Genesis already. But if you read the whole sum of Genesis 37 in one sitting, the word brothers is used like 40 times. Okay, so, so there's massive emphasis here on the, the family unit and on the dysfunction that's happening within the family. And we've already seen through Genesis, right? Like Cain and Abel, brothers, didn't work out so well. They didn't love each other, right? Jacob and Esau, brothers, didn't work out so well. They didn't love each other. And now we see Joseph and his brothers, there's hatred between them. So every family deals with this. We know that, right? Every family is in desperate need of the Lord intervening in their life and showering them with mercy and grace. It's important for us to note that God doesn't prevent the sin in our lives. He doesn't stop us from sinning. He doesn't prevent sin in your family, right? But he works through it anyway, with his, which really does make his grace and mercy even more amazing when you think about it. In verses 9 through 11, Joseph has a second dream, and he boldly or arrogantly shares this one, not only with his brothers, but with his father as well. And so Joseph was immature, proud, and disrespectful at best, right? And the word behold here is often used in the retelling of these dreams. It says it over and over again, and, and Joseph had prophetic dreams. In one commentary, um, John Currid said that the word behold is a demonstrative particle making the narrative graphic and vivid. So these were not ordinary dreams, okay? These were prophetic dreams, right? The first one was more dealing with harvest. The second one was more celestial, right? But the, the meaning was the same for both of them. The family would eventually bow down to Joseph. But the brothers and even Jacob weren't having it in the moment. 
They weren't believing that this is from Yahweh. And so his father rebukes him. His brothers are angry, right? Even more so, their anger turns into jealousy, envious jealousy. And the word jealousy here is actually translated zealous in an angry way, right? It's the same word that's used when Rachel envied Leah when she couldn't have children. The brothers may have been seething with anger and jealousy, but Jacob was wiser than that in the long run. Because it says the last phrase, and this is super important, the last phrase in in verse 11, it says, his father kept the saying in mind. This is very interesting. His father kept the saying in mind. He wouldn't forget like what Joseph was saying. The dream that he's sharing, this is very interesting. In my personal time with the Lord, I've been walking through the gospel of Luke. And and the, the phrase that is used here in the last verse, in verse 11, is very similar to what Mary and Joseph say in Luke 2. When they're pondering things said about baby Jesus, and in Luke 2.23, it says, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about them, about him, that he would bring salvation to the nations. And when they went to Jerusalem for Passover, Jesus stayed in the temple. You remember boy Jesus staying back, not being in the caravan, and his mom and dad are like, where is he? You know, and they go back and look for him. And the whole time when they find him, where was he doing? He's like, why were y'all looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And they're floored and they're shocked. Luke 2, 51 says, his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. Jacob kept the sayings of Joseph in his mind. Mary and Joseph marveled and treasured what was said and done by Jesus. God is up to something, right? He's moving, he's working. Interestingly enough, there's a unique parallel between the Old and the New Testament Josephs. The Old Testament Joseph in Genesis has dreams which lead him to interact with wicked Pharaoh and eventually would lead to him preserving infant Moses, whereas the New Testament Joseph had dreams which would lead him to escape wicked Herod and to preserve infant Jesus. That's absolutely fascinating, right? Like dreams play a major role in the rest of Genesis. And if you remember that God spoke to Jacob through a dream when he left Hebron to go to Haran, and now God's speaking to Joseph through dreams. And surely Jacob had remembered how God had chosen Jacob even though he was the younger brother. And Jacob had to have known that God could very well be speaking to his son through these dreams. So God uses dreams throughout the Bible. We know that, right? God Almighty still uses dreams today to bring himself glory. And there's incredible stories all around the world of God using dreams to bring people to Jesus, of of him getting Bibles to people through dreams. And we know that this is, like dreams are definitely not like the, the most common way, nor the primary way that he communicates to us today. It's through his word. It's through his son. So what's the point of all of this, right? God, the point is God's working. He's especially working when you can't see him. When you don't see what he's doing, when you can't understand what he's doing, he's always working behind the scenes. Out of all of Jacob's sons, God sovereignly chose Joseph to lead God's people, to provide for them when they needed to be provided for, to preserve them when they would have been wiped off the face of the earth 
because of a famine. And we learn quite a bit about ourselves and about God from this story. God can use humans, sinful humans, to accomplish his perfect plan. God worked through Jacob and Joseph's sins, and he still used them. It's fascinating. God always has a good plan, even when it's unclear, even when it's confusing, even when you don't understand what's happening. You don't understand why people are doing certain things or saying certain things or why things happen in your life. God is still working. He always has a plan. Pastor Kent Hughes said this, our great creator uses his creative power to keep all creation in existence, to involve himself in all events, and to direct all things to their appointed end. And then he quotes the Westminster Shorter Catechism. He says, God's work of providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. So God is providentially involved in all of human history, which includes your life, and my life, and your family's life, and everybody that you will interact with, God is sovereignly, providentially working behind the scenes. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you're specifically facing today, even tonight, but I know that you can rest assured in this fact, that God knows, God sees, God cares, he's involved in your life. If you think nobody else knows, nobody else sees, nobody else cares, he's there, he's involved, he's always working. Even when you can't see, he's always working for his glory, for your joy, and for others' good. He's always working. And it might not feel good, it might not look good, right? But he's always got a good plan in mind, even if it's unclear, right? He's constantly working. And so our role, we are called to pray to trust, and to act in obedience to what he says. Like, that's our role, right? We know that Jesus, his brothers hated him, just like Joseph's brothers hated him. Jesus' brothers hated him, and more than just his brothers hated him, right? Jesus actually said in John 15, 9, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's what we are promised as disciples of Jesus. If the world hated Jesus, the world's going to hate you. Get used to it. But unlike Joseph, though, unlike Jesus, Joseph wasn't hated by his brothers because he was righteous. Jesus was hated because he was righteous. Joseph wasn't hated because he was righteous. But God still used him anyway, even though he wasn't perfect. Right? Even though there wasn't always shalom in his life, or between him and his relationship with Yahweh, right? God would eventually use Joseph to save the nation of Israel. God would use Joseph to preserve the line of the promised seed of the woman. Jesus would come through that line, through the line of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers. And God would use Jesus to save all of the nations, to bring salvation, to make salvation available to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. He's always working, especially when you can't see him. Now, I know how relevant this passage can be just for the simple fact of family fights, right? We all fight, even with the people you love the most. Even in families where everybody is a follower of Jesus, there's no perfect family because there's no perfect people. And, and so there can be strife even in families where everybody knows Jesus and everybody's read their Bible that day. 
There still can be strife, right? In his commentary, The Gospel According to Joseph, Ian Duguid says this. He reminds us all about our failings by saying this. Is the church today any better than the original Israel? The dysfunctional family of 12 brothers who couldn't get along? We each shame the name of Christ daily through our anger, our malicious words and actions, our pride, our gossip, our rumor spreading designed to bring others down and exalt ourselves. We are profoundly broken and rebellious people who left to ourselves cannot remain faithful to him for an instant. But our God is a great savior for great sinners. Like Joseph's brothers and like us, a God who revels in rescuing and redeeming hopeless cases and lost causes and turning them into a united community who together worship him and sing of his grace and not of their own goodness. Man, that's good, right? God's always working. His ways are not your ways. His ways are not my ways. We won't understand them. It's hard for our finite minds to comprehend what his sovereignty is orchestrating and doing in our lives and in all of human history, but he's doing it for his glory. And that means that there's hope. There's hope, yes, for even you and your dysfunctional family. And that's really good news. At Red Oak, it's our greatest desire to exalt Jesus and to proclaim his glory above all the nations. And I pray that we would marvel afresh at how wonderful God's grace is over our own lives today. We see his grace all throughout Genesis, right? Despite the rebellion of people over and over and over again. And I pray that we would keep these sayings in mind. I pray that we would treasure these things, that we would ponder them, that we wouldn't forget them, that we'd hide them in our heart, that we would remember that God's always working, especially when you can't see it. I pray that we would all trust him, that we would all pray and be obedient and act according to his word, what he's told us to do, how he's told us to live. Because when we do that, we'll bring him glory We'll have greater joy and we'll bring good to others in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this story. What an incredible story. And we're just scratching the surface. We're just getting started. God, I pray that we would not read it as if we know the whole thing. We've heard it a hundred times. But I pray that we would read it with fresh eyes and fresh ears. That you would teach us through your word, God, that you are always there. Even if it doesn't even say your name as we're reading through the narrative, you're always there. You're always working behind the scenes in our lives today. You're always there. You're always working. And God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would have faith in you, that we would put our hope in you, that you are faithful and true and you are good Lord, and I pray that we would share that with others in our lives. We would share it with our family. Lord, that we would put aside animosity and hatred and bitterness and anger and jealousy, all the things of the flesh that can easily creep up in our marriages, in our families, in our relationship with our friends. Lord, I pray that we would remember this great gospel of grace that you've showered us with mercy all because of Jesus. And I pray that we would live with the hope of the resurrection, with the hope of eternal life, with this great and glorious gospel 
in our minds, that we would ponder these things, that we would treasure them in our hearts, that we would not stop preaching this gospel to ourselves and sharing it with others in our sphere of influence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.